0: Uh, comes to us from psalm 27 psalm of david and before i say this let me say just a quick word about howard um howard will be speaking to us this morning from god's word and uh, howard comes to us from um, grace presbyterian church in shreveport where he's on the teaching staff there so anyway um uh, if you have your bibles handy turn to 20, 27th psalm if you don't let's all rise together and read the words will be on the screen Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said... Seek my face, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O Lord, or God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for packing this treasure chest called your word. Uh, we, we know that you are the one who packed it. You're the one that put it uh, together for us, and only you can now unpack it for us. Uh, bless your servant as he comes to, to speak from your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. It's great to be with you. And it's a privilege to get to preach from this psalm. This has been my favorite psalm for quite a while, and I hope that um, if you know this psalm, it may be one of your favorites too. If, you, if you're not familiar with this psalm, I hope that it will become one of your favorites over time, at least. Um. So this morning uh, during your Sunday school, you were asking the question about archaeology and. Is the Word of God true? How do we know it's true? And there are a lot of ways that we know it's true. Uh, And one of the ways that we know it's true is through uh, just verification through other sources like archaeology. But my question for you as we even look at the psalm is, uh, does it make a difference if it's true? Like, what is it doing to our lives? How do we confess with our lives that it's true? And I think what we'll see here is that that's part of what uh, David is grappling with, as he's wrestling with the Lord, because David was a guy who had a very complex life, and he had a lot of fears and a lot of things hanging over him, a lot of anxieties, as it were. And the truth is we all face pretty major challenges ourselves. If we think uh, y'all are re- going to read the men are going to read a book, uh, hope in times of fear, which is which is apt in light of studying this. Uh, the psalm, and I want you to think just for a few minutes about the, the faces and chal- the fears and challenges we face today. What are some of those challenges? Well, we face a lot of challenges politically as a country, and it affects all of our lives. Uh, we'd have to go about back about fifty years or so to find a time where our country was more divided than it is today. And it seems as if everyone, at some level, is responding to political fears these days. Uh, it, it haunts all of us at some level or another. We face challenges morally. For the past century, our world has lost its way morally, especially in regard to marriage and sex, and it only seems to be deepening and getting stranger by the year. We lost our way morally with regard to race and treating people humanely about four centuries ago, and we're still dealing with the residual effects of how to try to make that right today. And we don't know exactly what to do, and it it haunts all of us. We just went through COVID. We're still in the middle of it in some ways. Uh, Your pastor's sick. Physically, we have concerns, and especially as we get older and our parents and grandparents get older, um, we have all kind of physical concerns and challenges and fears that are justified. We hear, if you've been listening to the news over the past two, three weeks, there's fear of a coming recession. Maybe even if I even say that, it kind of awakens like a little bit of fear in you. And that it not even hit all the relational and personal fears and struggles that we have. Our lives are full of challenges. And what is our normal response to these challenges? Well, we, we tend to have different responses. Uh, I tend to um, not be so much a warrior, but a doer. So when fears come, I try to like, fix them by doing them. And I work myself to the, to, the, uh, to the bone and end up neglecting my family sometimes by doing that. Some of you uh, go into hiding mode, maybe you you go into watching TV or sports or hide in the internet. Uh, Some of you just talk about these things relentlessly because uh, they never go away. These fears and challenges never go away. Well, today we meet one, David, who's not immune to these sorts of challenges. As a matter of fact, uh, if you think about his life, uh, the the kinds of challenges that we really struggle with, he had really even more deeply than we have. And he hits on some of those today. Uh, verse 2, he tells us that he had opponents. We think about Saul. We think about Absalom. We don't exactly know when the psalm was written in his life. But he says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Like, that's pretty serious. <laughs> They're coming to kill me. Um, I have adversaries and foes. When an army encamps against me, when war rises against me, These are not just theoretical fears and challenges that David's had. He's like had actually Saul sent his army against him, and so did Absalom. He talks in verse 10 about how he's been rejected and abandoned by parents. He talks in verse 12 about how he's had false witnesses, uh, people who are breathing out violence against him. Uh, And then when we think about his life, we can uh, multiply all the challenges and many of the were brought on by his own sin and struggles and failures. This is a guy who knows what it is uh, to, to f- fail and to fear and to, to have a lot of challenges in his life, and he's often had to be consumed with them. And yet, in light of all these challenges, he says some crazy things here in the psalm, and I'm just going to mention two of those. In Psalm 2 and 3, he says, When evildoers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why was David confident? Why did he, was he sure that his adversaries and foes would be the ones who stumbled and fell? Well, David was strong. He was wise in many ways. He was very strategic. Um, but the reason why he had that confidence was not that he just knew he was good enough and smart enough, and by golly, people liked him. It's because he had learned something about God. And at the end of the day, that's what I hope this, this psalm teaches you and me today. How could David face such fears and challenges without being consumed by them? How can we remain real about our fears without being consumed by our fears? Well, the answer is found in this psalm. And it's that God teaches us that when we become captured with Him, it begins to put our fears into proper perspective. Um. The Bible talks a lot about our fears and what we're to do with them, that we are to not be consumed with them. But it also says a weird thing that we're to fear the Lord. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? At some level, it means to have reverence for him, but more it means to be consumed by him, to be captured by him. And so I think today it shows us what it looks like to practice that, that we're to believe in God more than we're to believe in our fears, as it were. Um, so what does our culture say is the strategy for facing these fears? Well, there's a lot of different strategies. One is work hard, try to overcome the fears yourself. Increasingly, it's feel good about yourself. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and by golly, you should just have confidence in yourself. Look within yourself, and you'll have the power to overcome. Sometimes it recommends counseling, and that's a good thing to pursue if you're going through fears and anxiety and troubles. Sometimes it says medicine. A few years ago, there was a, uh, an author named Scott Stossel, and he wrote an article in Atlantic in 2015, and he, he said, you know, my life has been filled with a lot of fears and anxieties, and I've tried to fight them with a lot of things. And he lists some of the things that he's tried to, 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 to fight the fears with. He says, I've had three decades of individual psychotherapy. I've gone through family therapy, cognitive therapy, meditation, acupuncture, stoic philosophy, yoga, I've tried the late-night infomercials and all the solutions they offer. I've tried med- medication, lots of it. Thorazine, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Welbutrin, Lexapro, Valium, Xanax, St. John's Wort, natural way. Beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, scotch. Here's what's worked. Nothing. This is a guy who—it's just one guy, but he says, I've tried all the, the uh, things that are being offered and nothing's working. I'm just left with this anxiety and fear that consume me far too often. Now, I don't think this guy was a believer, but David had a struggle with a similar fear set, fear anxiety set. And he tells us, teaches us through the Psalm, how he learned to overcome his fears. And it begins with an invitation. And so in many ways, sometimes reading ancient literature is difficult because at it's, some it's level you can get the message just by reading it easily. But usually it has different layers, and so sometimes you have to start in the middle and work out. And So I'm going to actually start in verse 8 because I think that that's at the heart of where David started. Um, and he's talking to God. He's praying, as it were. And he says that it started with an invitation. God, you said, you've said, seek my face. At the heart of facing our fears, at the heart of figuring out how to relate to real life, it starts with an invitation. And it's not us so much about us inviting God in. It's about God giving an invitation or call to us. And what does he say? He says, seek my face. I read a quote from C.S. Lewis this week, and he said, we all long for good, and there's only one who's good, the Lord. And by looking to him, you experience good. And by, if you look to him, if you run towards him, you become good. If you run away from him, you become evil. The only good that we have is in the Lord. And he's inviting us here. He's inviting David and through David us. And he's saying, seek my face. Now it's really interesting what David says in response. He says, my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek Augustine said it this way: Our hearts are restless until they rest in You, for You have made us for Yourself. All of us have these longings in our in our beings, and those longings show themselves in a lot of different ways. We chase after all sorts of things, but the, at the fountain of the, at the at the base of that fountain of longing is this: You and I have been made to satisfy ourselves in the Lord. We've been made to seek the face of God. And here, we're hearing from God that He's inviting you to this one thing. Seek my face. If you, if you don't hear anything else i say today, please hear this from God's Word. He's urging you. He's begging you. He's inviting you he's to that one thing you've been made for, to seek the face of God. And so what happens when we seek the face of God? Well, we learn this fundamental truth that he confesses in verse 1 he says the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid David has learned that the fundamental thing about himself because he belongs to God because he's been called by God is that the Lord is the centrality of his life his only real hope in life and in death That when he thinks about his life, he thinks about the Lord. And when he thinks about the Lord in his life, he says, I'm going to be okay. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's the one who rescues me. He's the one who guides me. He's the stronghold of my life. He's the one I hide in. And because of that, when fears come, they don't win. Because of that, I don't have to be snowed under by the anxieties that fill my life. He's not saying that anxieties aren't real. He deals with that, as we said in the psalm. This world is filled with anxieties. It's filled with fear. And yet, if you know the Lord, if you belong to Him, if you hide in Him, if you respond to that call that He gives to seek my face, you will experience the same thing David did. That amidst all the troubles and fears, there's one who's going to uphold you because He loves you and He's made you... For himself, He's going to watch out and care for you. Now this leads David, understanding, hearing the call, seek my face, seeing this fundamental truth that the Lord is my life and my salvation, leads David to, to offer four requests in this psalm, which again are very instructive. The first request is seen in verse 4. It's really the fundamental thing that David longs for from God. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. David says, there's really, I, I asked the Lord of all kinds of things, that the Psalms, he's, he's written many of the Psalms, he, he, you know, he asked the Lord for more than one thing. He asked for God for more than one thing here, even this Psalm, but he's saying behind all my requests, there's just really one fundamental request. What's that one fundamental request that he has? That he can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. What was the house of the Lord the temple? What was represented in the temple? The presence of God. David's saying, "I, I just have one desire, and that's this, that I can just be in your presence every day. That I can gaze upon your beauty, Lord. And to inquire of you, to learn of you, to experience the wonder of you in your presence. At the heart of it, this is David's one thing. I'm going to seek after God in His presence so I can experience His beauty and learn about Him. The question that arises is, this was David's one thing. What's your one thing? Now, we know from David's life, he didn't always... He wasn't always kind of laser focused on that one thing he got distracted just like we do but what's the one thing you ask the Lord for like at the heart of it you know I find that often when I listen to people's prayers it's frequently God take care of me or take care of my family or you know take care of the country or something like that those aren't bad requests those are in the Bible but if, if, if our requests really aren't focused on knowing the Lord, experiencing His presence, I think all of our requests are missing the boat, as it were, in many ways. But that's the fundamental thing. To know God and to be found in Him is the one thing that we're to be seeking after. But he doesn't just stop there. He offers another request in verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry, be gracious to me and answer me. Not only does God, not only does David want to know that God to experience the presence of God, but he wants to know that God hears and answers him. That he belongs to God in such a way that as he offers up his pleas and requests to God, he will be heard. He tells a third one in, in verse nine, he says, Please don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now this is interesting because David is is revealing, even in this request, a fear that he has. What's that fear? God, I know I screw things up for you all the time. I know it. I, I see it in my life. Please don't let the ways I screw things up be the thing that causes me to be shunned from your presence, to be sent out, to be cast off. He even says, my mother and father have forsaken me. They, they, when they see how I screw up, they may have rejected me. But will you please take me in? And then the fourth request is for him to train, for God to train David. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a path, level path because of my enemies. Verse 11 and 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So David is asking God to train him, to follow after him, to become like him, as it were. So we see what are the four requests. He wants God's presence first and fundamentally. He wants God to hear and answer his prayers to be responsive to him. He wants him not to cast him off due to his failures. And he wants him to train him up in his ways that he might represent him well and beautifully. And so we see that at the heart of engaging with God, it does involve request. And God is not like one who is slow to give us good gifts. We see even through the teaching of Jesus that if a son asks a father for a fish, he's not going to give him a scorpion or a terrible gift, right? Instead, he's going to shower him with kindness. How much more will your father who's in heaven give you good gifts if your earthly fathers who are evil give you good gifts? And so he's, he's, he's training us, as it were, to come before him with requests. So in engaging with God, responding to his request to seek my face, learning this fundamental truth that the, the Lord is the one that defines my life, he is the fun, fundamental reality of my identity. Learning to come to him with these requests lead to several confidences, actually four also. What are the four confidences that David confesses here? Well, he says the first one in verses 2 and 3. We've read it already. I'm confident, God, David says, in light of you, O Lord. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. Um, David says fundamentally, this is what I know, God. Because I've experienced you, because I see you, I know that you're for me. And that regardless of what comes against me, you're going to take care of me. At the end of the day, experiencing God chasing after us like He has in the psalm will awaken such a confidence. Confidence number two is in verses 5 and 6. He just prayed, I want to experience your presence, but then why? The confidence is found in verse 5 and 6. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David says, Because I've realized that God is for me, I'm going to cry out to him, and I'm sure he's going to take care of me. As a matter of fact, even when my enemies come upon me, I'm going to. Celebrating in his tent. I'm actually going to be in his, in his presence, shouting praises to him, singing, making melody to him. Again, because, God's experience, because David has experienced the Lord in all his benefits, he has this confidence about him. Third confidence is found in verse 3. This is a pretty crazy one. Uh, third confidence is found in verse 10. For my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. This is a pretty crazy one. Of all the people who are supposed to love us well, it's our mom and dad. And yet, if you're a kid, you know you screw things up. And sometimes it's like, did I screw it up so badly, they're going to tell me we're done? And sometimes that even happens with moms and dads. But here's the thing that the Lord says. If you respond to my call to seek my face, even when you have screwed it up, I'm going to take you in. This is a truly crazy reality. That the one who, our father and mother may forsake us, but the Lord will never forsake those who run to him. And he's not saying you have to have it all together. My goodness, David didn't have it all together. And then finally, confidence is found in, the fourth confidence is found in verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David is utterly certain that even in the land of living, even in this life, God's going to show him good. And he's so confident of that, that he, he, he not only tells himself that, but he's actually telling us that. That if you're going through difficult times and you run to the Lord, guess what? God is faithful. He's going to show you His good. It may not be exactly what you want, but it's probably actually something that's even better. And we could unpack that. that. That could be a sermon in of itself. But David's saying, God's goodness will chase after you because God will continue to chase after you. Now, a lot of times when reading through a psalm like this, it can be a song, it can sound like i 'm saying be like David in some ways we should be like David. We should be responding to the Lord, but why was David so why is David writing this stuff he 's not fundamentally telling you be like me because if if the sermons be like David, then man, he did some terrible things, committed adultery, then he murdered this this uh. The husband of the wife he abusively took he was a failure as a dad as a matter of fact the the downfall of all of israel was really largely on david because he created major disruptions in his whole family now the point is not david the reason why david's confidence that the lord will take him in the reason his confidence he's going to see the goodness of the lord the reason he's confident that God was going to hide him and put him in this tent, the reason he's confident that even though an army encamped against him, he's going to prevail, was not because of David's goodness and faithfulness. It's because he saw God. It's because when God said, Seek my face, David experienced the face of God. He experienced the presence of God in this temple. And he was utterly convinced because of the Lord's faithfulness in pursuit of him that even though he would fail radically, and he did, that he could have confidence. So what was David's confidence rooted in? It was rooted in fundamentally the Word of God. He had come to believe that the Word of God was true because he saw it true in the history of his people. He was true. He knew his confidence also rooted in his experience that He knew that even when he was unfaithful, even when he was weak, God showed his power and his goodness despite that. But here's the thing for us. David wrote this psalm in light of the Word of God and in light of his experience. We have something greater. A lot greater than David had. What do we have that would give us confidence in such a picture of God? Such an invitation of God. We have the very Son of God, Jesus. We have Jesus who came and lived the perfect life that we should have lived but failed to live every day. We have Jesus who God sent to to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve, also, we can enjoy the favor of God. Jesus is the one who actually was forsaken by his Father for a day, for a time, for three days, actually so that we could be taken in so that we could confess though my mother and father forsake me you will take me in the only reason that we have can have utter confidence in that is this is because we root ourselves in Jesus because he was forsaken for us he invites us in and he's never going to let his brothers and sisters go We have utter reason for confidence. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 shows us that in a really profound way. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there just real briefly, but I'm just going to mainly read it. It says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a really good question. That's at the heart of what David's confessing, even in Psalm 27. He who did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? If the Father didn't spare Jesus for you, whom he loved, whom he didn't want to see suffer, just in and of itself, if he was willing to give Jesus for you, how is he not also going to take care of you in every other way? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? For it's God who justifies. Who's the one to condemn? For Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who's raised. Who's the right hand who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us. We can have confidence. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, will all these fears destroy us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, because of Jesus, we can have utter confidence in this God who loves us that he is our light and our salvation he's the stronghold of our life that he wants one thing for us and that's that we would belong to him and commune with him and what a foolish thing to forsake that so just in closing i have some some questions for you to think about if this is really true what david confessed about god for us what's your one thing what's the one thing you desire from god because if, if, you, if it's him, him, if it's longing for God himself, that's the one he delights to give you more than anything else. It's the one thing you've been created for. Is that moving you to run to him? You know, some of you have been believers for quite a while, and prayer is something that you do, but mainly it's something you do maybe on Sunday mornings. Or when crisis hits or maybe the dinner table, but it's, it's not something that flows through your veins because you long for His presence. If He really is who He says He is, and He is, then how would you, why would you forsake going to Him and running to Him to commune with Him, to, to lift up your fears to Him and ask Him to, to fill you with a sense of reality about who He is that it might drive away your fears? If that's true, if all these things are about true about him, are you talking about him? David says, not only this psalm, but other psalms, look, I've experienced God at such a great level. How can I keep silent about him? If I did, I would forsake this generation. Like we should be talking about Jesus if we haven't, if we're not talking about him, have we really experienced him? are you rooting what is most true about you by rooting it in what is most true about the Lord? Where are you looking for identity? And finally, there may be some of you who are here today and you're like, I'm just kind of inquiring about this Christian faith. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm trying to figure it out. And there are a lot of and I know that uh, Ryan or the elders would love to talk to you further about these things, but but I would just offer you two things. Don't you long for one who would be for you in a way that he would never let you go? How would you believe that he would do that? Well, the only way you're really going to believe it, the only way I believe it, is by looking at Jesus who lived and died for sinners like you and me. Not because we were going to get it all together, but because He loved us. And because He longs to love us throughout eternity. I long for you, if you've never come to believe, to come and meet this one who will chase after you, who's inviting you to seek my face. And you know your heart's wanting to respond. Your face, do I seek? I long for it. Just in closing, I want to tell you one story. Years ago, I heard a a pastor slash politician. His name was Bill Devlin. He lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he, he he's kind of a little bit crazy guy. He's a, a dif- deeply a believer, but he he ran for mayor one time and he got into all these debates. And one of the debates he was in was um, uh, over same sex marriage and such. And so he got into all these bit debates with people who were very different than he was. And he would go to these universities. He tells a story of going to one university where he debated a guy that he frequently debate. And um and after they'd given their positions, someone asked him, um, Mr. Devin, I'd I'd love to know what you would what you would do if your daughter came out as gay, came out as lesbian. And um and he said, Well, I would hug her, and I would tell her I love her, and I was never, I'm never going to forsake her, but I'd tell her that she's wrong. But I'd still continue to love her. What was he doing there? He was reflecting the character of God. And all the students began to scoff, and then someone asked his opponent, How do you, would you like to respond to that? And the guy said, yeah, I'd like to respond. <clears throat> and it's going to be hard for me not to break out when I tell you this, but... The guy said... Uh, I honestly wish that Bill Devlin had been my dad <laughs> because when I was sixteen and and confessed my struggles to my dad, he kicked me out and it was freezing and and he's never seen me since and Bill Devlin said when he said that there was the Holy Spirit he could just feel the Holy Spirit going across the crowd now Bill Devlin is a remarkable man, and he would I'm sure he would love his kids through really thick and thin but He's nothing compared to the Lord. David did horrible things. How many of you ever killed someone? Okay, don't raise your hands, but like... <laughs> you know, uh, how many of you, you abused power and taking advantage of someone's wife in that way? How many of you failed at parenting? You know, despite all that, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord, is the stronghold of our lives. Whom shall we be afraid? The Lord loves you. Put your confidence in him. Let me pray. Lord well, God, I thank you for your word. Um, it really trains us on how to think and live. And at the end of the day, you're calling us to seek your face above everything else. God, help us to respond to you, to run to you. God, it's crazy that you run after us. But God, you know how easily we are distracted by our fears, will you help us to run after you? Will you help us to uh, learn to bring you our fears and process our fears through the light of who you are? And will you give us similar confidence in you that David had by seeing you, by experiencing you? God, will you even allow us to experience you as we come to this table? That we would learn to feast on Jesus in doing so, that we would feed on him spiritually, for real in a way that would change our lives even this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.